This is the Voices of Social Change podcast, brought to you by Barry University School of Social Work. Hi, this is Laura Belloconti, producer of the Voices of Social Change podcast, welcoming you to another episode. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone to subscribe to the Voices of Social Change podcast on SoundCloud to make sure you never miss an episode such as this one. This episode, we are joined by Marlene Holmes, our wonderful PhD student, who sits down with Dr. Philip Giarafa and have an in-depth conversation about social work and sports, her personal journey, and the future in social work and sports. Marlene will also be presenting in the upcoming NASW Florida Chapter Conference on June 14th about the journey of collegiate sports for black women defined through the lens of intersectionality. If you want to learn more about Marlene, you can check out her podcast called Yep, She Said It on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit her website at www.heartfpp.com. And now, please enjoy episode four of the Voices of Social Change podcast. Today on the Voices of Social Change podcast, hosted by Barry University, I am proud to be joined by social worker Marlene Holmes, who is interested in discussing her research that is focused on black female college athletes and the emotional impact that is placed upon them when transitioning out of sports. Well, first of all, thank you, Molly, for joining us. Thank you for having me. So there's an increasing intersectionality between sports and social work, and I don't think that the nation understands just how viable social work lends itself to sports. So on one end, we have this intersectionality with social justice, which right. has really been brought to light with Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we have this really interesting uh, paradigm, this gamut of social work intervening with athletes, particularly those with mental health issues. For sure. So you will be presenting at the NESW Florida conference this upcoming June, and you'll be talking about the physical and psychological effects on black female collegiate athletes as they transition out of sports. Talk a little bit about first how you came to be interested in that research. So I'm focused on this area of research, particularly because I'm a former collegiate athlete myself. And the natural experience that I went through, um, and a lot of my teammates, we've talked about it, um, has been very similar. The emotional, the physical, um, the mental, like the challenge you have with understanding who you are outside of sports. And so what the research so far has allowed me to understand is the athletic identity, which is a construct that I was never familiar with before to understand the priorities when it comes to intersectionality. So understanding that on the top level, I was an athlete. But then underneath that, I'm a female, I'm black. So understanding what that looked like for me as far as the priority and the shift that took place after leaving sports and realizing that I and myself, myself and many other athletes have really not explored who we are outside of the court or the field or whatever the sport is. So once I understood that, I was like, maybe I need to look into this. And through research, I found that there's really very limited research from anyone that focuses on just this population alone. Many of the studies are comparative studies, so to white female athletes, to males, but nothing alone is focusing on this population. So that's really when I said, you know, I think I need to do this. So in the moment, the college athlete, okay, the black female college athlete, as they're moving through their season, whatever their sport may be, mm-hmm. what is their experience like emotionally, obviously physically, there's right. probably a toll, but emotionally as they're balancing school, For sure. athletics, 
other obligations outside of college. What's that like for you? What's the journey like? What have for you sure. found? Well, what I'm finding when we're looking through the social work lens is that the utilization of resources really isn't available. And what we're finding is that a lot of the athletes go to their peers, um, to their classmates, their teammates, but they're not really able to access resources like a therapist um, or a counselor that can that can work with them outside of the athletic realm to say that you're more than just an athlete. You're a person. You're a student. What's in your future? What are those objectives and goals and how can we work together? Whereas in the athletic population, even through my personal experience, everyone in your circle is strictly focused on the sport. Whether how can we get through the anxiety of shooting a better free throw? How can we maneuver on the court? Um, what breathing exercises can you use during a timeout? That's really what the focus is. But through social work, we want to say who we want to focus on who you were before, who you are now, and who will you be after you graduate. Now we also know from the literature that more and more students are entering higher education mm -hmm. these days with um, mental health issues based on whatever adversities they might have gone through in their childhood. Right. Um, how are coaches prepared to really work with individuals? Because they should not be benched. Right. And I, and I say to use the word bench from a student that I had at Barry University School of Social Work that used this term, um, should not be benched from playing sports based on a mental health issue or based right. on an adverse experience that they might have uh, had in the past. How are colleges and particularly athletic departments and coaches preparing to, uh, to work with a lot of these individuals that are coming into higher education right. with mental health issues, but are, have the capacity mm. to play and, and have the capacity, but also have the right, right. to engage in athletics? For sure. I think what is the right and also the willingness. You know, I've been blessed to have some great coaches, but I've also had the opportunity of having not so great coaches um, where they really don't understand who you are and how not to generalize the whole team and the approach is similar to raising a child, right? You have three kids, you can't necessarily parent every child the same way. And so it's the same approach when it comes to coaching athletes. You have athletes from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences. Some are coming from trauma. So you, you just have to approach it differently. And so when it comes to the coach, I think it goes, you know, with that with the coach to the athlete, it's more of the, the micro, right, individual. But then when we look at on the macro level, we look at the institution, we look at the NCAA, what are the policies that are in place that mandate for the coaches to, to have certain um, um, competencies to work with the students within the athletic realm and I don't I haven't seen enough I can't say that it's not there but I have not yet seen any consistency that shows that we are working with students at their level to help them meet their goals because within um, the NCAA there are very strong regulations that require students to graduate and to pass their classes and if that doesn't happen um, there are you know consequences for those universities and those programs so the question is what are they really doing to make sure that the percentages of the non-minority students are, are on the same level as the minority students and in this particular situation black athletes. Now, before we talk about the psychological impact of black female athletes after college, mm -hmm. what are some of those psychological effects that they're dealing with as they're going through the season? Like, what are some of the things that they might be dealing with as they are trying to, again, navigate mm -hmm. uh, uh, a successful college athletic career yeah. and being successful because, again, they are mandated by NCAA regulations. Right, so what right. are some of those effects that they might be going through as the season progresses? Maybe you can use some of your examples. For as... sure. I think you mentioned earlier, first, it's just the balance of being a student, right? So you're coming in just with a student 
the understanding how classes work, balancing your classes. What if you're a student that actually works, so working and all of that, trying to have a social life. But for an athlete, um, you really don't have a social life. Your teammates, your coach, that becomes your family. So when you talk about some of the psychological effects of balancing, of maybe having preseason, right? And you have practice in the morning at maybe 5 a.m. You have film, strength and conditioning, midday practice, lunch, and then you have a practice in the evening again in some situations. So you look at that, you're looking at anxiety for sure, um, because how I'm going to balance the classes, am I getting enough rest? Um, you're looking at, you know, self-esteem, like do I really believe that I'm capable of passing my classes um, and maintaining that same GPA that maybe I had when I was in high school? Because often that transition into athletics from high school is very challenging, and then transitioning out as a senior into the real-world professional setting is very challenging as well. So also you have a lot of um, self-doubt that you haven't really explored and maybe you haven't experienced. And what happens is once you lose that athletic identity or you realize and you accept, because a lot of times I think acceptance is the biggest key, you actually are forced to say, this is leaving me. Like I am detaching from something that has actually defined me through my entire life. And now I have to say, okay, so when I go to the into the real world, quote unquote, um, they don't care how about many uh, shots I made. They don't care about my field goal percentage. They don't care about how many attacks I had. But if I can use, but you have to somehow understand that the professional skills that you are now going to use, you actually learned as an athlete. But again, the structure and the support has really not been there to educate and to support the athlete through that process. So a lot of it is mental. And if you don't um, take a hold of that early on, it can limit you. And in some, they never recover from it. We interrupt this podcast to bring you a quick social work statistic. Hello, my name is Josh Holsworth, and I am a BSW student at Barry University School of Social Work. Did you know? A study found that 87 out of 91 deceased NFL players tested positive for chronic traumatic encephalopathy, a degenerative brain disease. Beyond CTE, there has been media coverage on the prevalence of financial mishandling, criminal behavior, and mental health struggles aiding in growing public awareness of the many difficulties athletes face. The National Association of Social Workers, NASW, produced the NASW in Sports in 2015 in an effort to integrate much needed social work practice into all aspects of athletics for the well-being of both individuals and the sports community. For more information about Barry University School of Social Work, please visit barry.edu slash social work. And now back to the episode. Voices of Social Change here at Barry University with Marlene Holmes. Marlene, tell me what you recollect when you realized that it was over. You, played, you were minutes away from playing your last college game. What were some of the emotions that were going through you at that time? Well, my experience is very unique. Um, and it's actually one that I know a lot of people can relate to in different areas of their life. I had I went to a junior college first called Independence College in Independence, Kansas. It's like the hub of junior colleges. And from there, I was recruited to Bethune-Cookman um, in Daytona Beach, Florida. Yay, go Wildcats. Um, but while there, my JUCO coach was diagnosed with cancer. And so for about a year and a half, I would travel between Florida to Kansas to visit her. I was very close to her family. She was very much... Um, a stakeholder as far as helping me and connecting me and letting me know how this world of athletics works. And she was the only person that really believed to me that I could do this on Division One level. Um, she lost her battle to cancer 
during my last um, home game. So I went on to my last home game knowing that the person that uh, was my vehicle to this opportunity has passed away. From that, we made it to um, the MEAC conference. So I actually flew with my team to Virginia, and then from there, flew to Kansas for her funeral. So when you talk about psychological, like I'm having to go through the stages of acceptance, I'm going through the stages of grief already, um, and having to deal with that. Go to a funeral, get back on a plane, fly back to play my last home game, my last career game. And in that moment, it was just numbness. I can remember the game, I can remember the experience, but I was actually very numb. And believe it or not, I didn't play in my last home game. So when you talk about coaches and their interaction, understanding how to um, navigate a player's experience and understanding what trauma does, what grief does, and how sometimes the sport is really the outlet. Later on in our conversation, she felt that I was not mentally ready to play the sport, but we never had a conversation. So she just didn't know how to necessarily navigate through that. And it was very, it's been very interesting exploring that now that I'm a social worker. So going through a grieving process and accepting that this was changing. And what I did post-sports is I ran the opposite direction. I was not interested in sports. I didn't. I never wanted to work out. So I did something I've been doing since sixth grade. Um, but then when you look at other players that I know, they're coaching. They some have tried out for the Olympics. Some are playing overseas. So we all navigate in different directions. But it's all a coping mechanism, and that's the biggest thing I learned. Do you think colleges do enough to help the student athlete transition? Again, you're on this psychological and physical mm -hmm. roller coaster for four years generally. Right. And then it ends. Mm -hmm. Does it end suddenly or is there a vehicle to help student athletes transition to life after sports? Right. I think it depends on the situation. It depends on the athlete. It depends on the institution. Um, for some, we have to say that it is sudden. What if you have an injury that you were preparing, you're a freshman, you come in and boom, you tear your ACL and maybe that's out. Maybe the school does not renew your scholarship or you don't redshirt. There's different factors that come into play. But just in this situation, let's say, yes, you completed your four years, um, has the institution and the program really said that, hey, we are prepared and we've done it everything that we can. I can say that through my research as far as looking at the programs the NCAA has created, some of the top big power five schools, big 10 schools, they have created programs, but what I'm not seeing is the consistency. What I'm not seeing is, again, the individual approach of a thorough assessment of wondering what are the challenges the student is facing, like having the student tell the, the coach or having the student tell the therapist, this, this is what I need, this is what I've gone through, this is the fear, this is the goal that I have or maybe I don't have any goals some people really don't see life after sports so it's up to those that have often told the parents or the family members that we're going to take care of your of your child we're going to love them we're going to support them but not all does that not always include the professional aspect in life after sports so I do think there needs to be a stronger level of consistency I think there needs to be something um, just like we have the NCAA Clearinghouse that mandates your SAT or ACT score, all of that. I think the same thing needs to be in place for a healthy and smooth transition out of sports. Now, a lot of times what we neglect to, to see is that these athletes are not just playing a game. They're competing. Mm -hmm. They're competing. Absolutely. They're, they have professional aspirations. And in doing so at such a high level, mm -hmm. regardless of what division you play for or what institution you play for, the bottom line is, is that you're taught to compete. Right. You're taught to play at a high level and sure. play um, to win. Mm -hmm. 
How hard is it for the athlete who knows um, where there is some underlying adversity, there is some underlying manifestations of mental health? How hard is it for that athlete who plays and competes at such a top level to seek help and ask for help? Wow, that's a great question. I think it's very challenging. There's a lot of... um public figures now that are coming out. Just this week, I believe I saw an interview um, with a former NBA athlete, Keyshawn, played for the Celtics. And he was saying that he had trauma in the past and had never explored it. And, you know, in this at this time, he's NBA level. And there's a situation that happened that triggered him and basically sent him into a psychotic break. And no one understood what was happening and it landed him in a mental health facility. So we look at situations like that, the stigma that is that surrounds an athlete, just an athlete in general, regardless of race or gender, just what the world perceives an athlete. They think we're strong, that we can push through, that sometimes we're seen almost like a superhero, believe it or not, that you can just accomplish anything. You can push through because the things that we do, other people can't. You know, um, as far as running a court, jumping boxes, agility, just the, the physical aspect is a little different, but they forget that you're human. Um, so when, you're, when the athlete is involved with the physical aspects, sometimes you think that they are a superhero. And it's, a, it's hard to ask for help, right? But what we have to do is create an atmosphere to where they feel that they're not judged, that they can seek resources, whether it's within the athletic department or outside the athletic department. Um, and then I think it goes into gender. What if you're a male athlete? What does that look like for you? Um, and then if you look at the racial aspect, like there's so many things that can go into it that plays into it and makes it very challenging for um, athletes to seek help. Moving from Marlene Holmes, the athlete, to Marlene Holmes, the social work practitioner, with your research, with your practice experience, how would you go about educating the NCAA, professional bodies, Major League Baseball, National Football League, National Basketball Association, and so on and so forth, how would you educate them on the value right. and the investment in social workers within their organizations to be there to not only intervene, but also to prevent um, incidents from occurring, mm -hmm. whether it's um, incidents that occur through you know failure to debrief, right. failure to grieve, failure to, whatever that case may be, how would a social worker, how would you educate them on the value of the social work profession in their organizations? Right. I think with knowing the world of athletics, the first thing is results. A lot of times they want, don't want to know that the stuff that's in the middle, the stuff that work takes the hardest work, you know, um, but the results. So starting to look at the statistics, looking at the graduation rates of athletes, of, of males versus females, as black females versus white white females, um, looking at the 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 athletes that graduate and complete the program that have mental health diagnosis, the suicide rates that we have, um, looking at what happens, what is happening to the athletes post-collegiate sports, post-professional sports. You know, when you look at the NFL, the average career is at least two to three years. So what's happening in that process, in that experience for those athletes? We have athletes that have ran into traffic to commit suicide, that have tried to commit suicide by running into traffic. Um, severe depression, like they're just not functioning outside of that. So I think the first thing is to present what the problem is and how we want to reverse that. So if we show that, hey, this is where we're at, and if we don't make a change, 
this is going to increase. And, you know, money is a huge thing. So no one wants to be tagged with something that's negative. No one wants to be tagged by losing athletes or losing sponsorships. So coming at them, to be honest with you, is going to be the most effective way. And with social work and using that experience, you show the value in the athlete beyond the value of just the player, but as a person. And show that if we have this connectivity from um, the president of the institution or the president of any national league, going down to the coaches, to the, everyone, it shows a more connective atmosphere. And I would think of someone like Phil Jackson, regardless of how you feel about Phil and all of that, he was very big on um, connecting his athletes. So when you think about social work, he used a lot, he utilized meditation. He really took a person, personal passion with understanding what the athletes were, from, where they were from, what they were going through, um, their challenges. And that really would be the perspective that a social worker would take is an individual approach of understanding what each athlete needs. And that obviously would take time because you have mass, mass teams and needs that you would do that. But just showing that, hey, bringing a, a social worker in for a, group, for a group session, a team session, you already have team sports a lot of times in preseason. You have all of these games uh, pre um, team games that you do in preseason that bring you together to understand who these people are so that you can um, have this morale to carry you through the season. And bringing a social worker in will show the value in that, but obviously for us in a more clinical approach, but to them it may not appear that way, you know? I think that's a talent of, of a social worker as well. We're able to make some amazing things happen, but to those on the outside of the world, it looks very simple, but we're very strategic um, in what we do and how we navigate that. So I think showing the, the issue, how we can help, and your, the experience. And I think for me, that is something that I definitely want to do. I've worked in healthcare um, for youth and adults for mental health, for substance abuse, for residential. So I've seen the young, the old, the, those in the middle of what it can do. And it's definitely transferable to, to that in any area. And for those who don't know, Marlene was referring to former coach Phil Jackson, coach of the Chicago Bulls, Los Angeles Lakers, and front office executive for the New York Knicks. Now I'd like to switch over to this other lens of uh, social work, and that is the social justice intersectionality in sports. So obviously the biggest thing that comes to mind is Colin Kaepernick. For sure. Um, and that had made national headlines and continues to make national headlines. And, and the movement that he had set really has trickled down through various, various uh, sports. You, NBA, right. you see the NFL, you see some in Major League Baseball. Tell me about what you think his impact was and how could social work from a social justice perspective really lend itself to this to this movement for athletes. Right. I think the biggest thing that Kaepernick has done and continues to do is just bring attention to an issue. Regardless of your stance, he brought a light to an area that, you know, we haven't really seen since the stance of the Olympics um, with the gentleman holding the, the black power fist. So we, we're seeing history repeat itself, and it's brought attention to the issue. And when you say that it trickles down, I look at someone as Serena Williams, and we she had that very heated match where um, she went to the ref, and the ref, I believe, was it called the ball? It was a huge thing. And the question for many was, if that was a man, would it be the same? If it was a white athlete, would it have been the same? Um, and looking all that. So we have all these pockets of fires that are popping up that are not new, but it's bringing attention to the issue of social justice, equality, um, gender differences, pay differences. So it's looking at all of that. 
And I think with social work, we have so many pockets that we can tap into, um, that we can assist and provide a voice. And through that, opportunities are opening. So we see, you know, with sponsorships changing, we know with Serena Williams, she started a program through an app called Bumble, where she actually um, created a program for minority um, women to be leaders and to be owners and that whole world. So people are finding uh, their pocket and making moves to make the change. And I think we hear the word change agent, but a lot of people in the world, especially athletes, are being change agents. So they're using the social work values, but I just think it would be more effective if we, as social workers, stepped in and led the field in that. We are proud to be joined by Marlene Holmes, who will be presenting at the National Association of Social Workers Florida Conference with her research on the physical and psychological effects of black female collegiate athletes as they transition out of sports. Marlene, I'd like to thank you today. And lastly, if I could add, where do you hope your research takes this intersectionality moving forward? For sure. I think you captured it when you said the NBA, the WNBA, the NHL. I am looking to be a voice where that I can present my topic and my population, but it's transferable to anyone in any field because there's pieces of it that can apply to anyone. So I'm looking to open the door. I'm looking to allow more individuals to be healthy mentally and emotionally um, and to understand that the transition is bigger than I think we often anticipate, but also to educate and to support the coaches and those key um, members within the athletic world that this is something that you need to maintain a healthy program, healthy individuals, and to really feel fulfilled in their career. I think many coaches go into the this world because they love what they do. They love to win. They love to see others win. But this is an avenue that I think could take that competitive spirit to another level. And I'm hoping to bring that with a breath of fresh air, some energy, but I'm really looking to make um, that needle move with understanding how intersectionality and social work and sports is truly connected. Thank you so much for being here today, Molly. We greatly look uh, forward to hearing your presentation and we wish you the best success in your research on social work and sports. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Voices of Social Change podcast. To stay up to date with all of the happenings within the Ellen Whiteside McDonald School of Social Work, visit our website at barry.edu forward slash social work.